Oh, wow. You are a Cracked Podcast listener. That means you're pretty neat. You're interested in all kinds of ideas and things about the world. The world should know you're neat. Do it online with Squarespace. Build your own website where you can launch your passion project, showcase your work, sell products, or just be you with your own domain and URL and everything. You'll have a beautiful template created by a world-class designer. You'll be able to customize it however you want. So what are you waiting for? Head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Introducing the perfect companion to The Jim Jeffries Show, which has been grabbing late night by the country, The Jim Jeffries Show podcast. He is an Australian comedian with an inquisitive and sometimes controversial take on American politics and culture. That show's great. We've had writers from it on our show, like Matt Kirshen, and the whole thing, get into it with The Jim Jeffries Podcast, because you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what happened on the show, including jokes that weren't used or backstory on Jim's international field pieces. You won't want to miss it. So listen to new episodes of the Jim Jeffries Show podcast, releasing every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also here to talk to you about a pair of second cousins. Do you approve of this? People are hurt when they fight for what is rightfully theirs. Do you approve a brutal and illegal act to enforce a political principle, Sam? That was an argument between John Adams and Samuel Adams as portrayed in the 2008 HBO miniseries called John Adams, and they're arguing about a public tar and feathering of a British tax collector in colonial Boston. Uh, Samuel Adams and John Hancock kind of incite the event in the scene. They think it's necessary for their revolutionary ideals. Then John Adams is disgusted by it because tar and feathering is horrible. We're not going to get into the details of it. Uh, Google it if you're you're strong-stomached. John Adams believes in the same ideals. He doesn't think that's a way to do them. And I think about that scene a lot, partly because both Adamses are, are right on some level, right? Like the American Revolution is worth having. Uh, horrible tar and feathering is a horrible way to do it. And I'm aware this is a scene from a TV show. It is not history. It is not real life. But in real life, that kind of thing was done in colonial America by groups you could describe as mobs. And the word mob is a pretty loaded word in in the crowd sense, right? It makes you think of riots and violence. Calling a group a mob is really an accusation. You're, You're arguing that everything the group believes in and everything they're doing is hurtfully wrong. And I see the word mob thrown around a lot, a surprising amount, on a social media platform called Twitter, which brings us straight into today's show. We are talking about how to separate real outrage from the bullshit kind. Because a lot of activism is happening on Twitter and in our world today all the time. And a lot of the activism, it gets hand-waved as being done by mobs, right? And people hand-wave this from their perches at the New York Times or television shows. And other activism gets treated as legitimate by those places. And I would say they're not always right. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of recent outrage on today's show, but there's going to be future outrage too. And... I think you want to be ready to deal with it. It is the media literacy skill of our time, and we want you to come out of this show knowing how to do it. I think that's exciting, and I think it's going to be fun. One of the most fun things 
about this show is our guests today. We have a killer lineup. For one thing, we have Amy Nicholson. She is a film critic, she is a writer, and she is the host of Earwolf's show Unspooled, along with Paul Shear. She is a returning guest who we are so happy to have, especially because a lot of these outrages we're going to talk about involve movies and the people making them. Also returning guest, also thrilled to have Andrew T, the host, along with Tawny Newsom, of Yo! Is This Racist? And a lot of these outrages involve, hey, race and politics and things that he is, I think, pretty much the internet expert in. He's been on this beat for a long time and has very thoughtful and very funny opinions about it. I had such a good time taping this one, and I like the idea of all of us being able to smell a false outrage coming Smell a false outrage coming? Is that a thing? That's probably a mixed metaphor and sentences. Let's stick with it. Now, please sit back. Or here's what you do if you're a New York Times opinion writer. Please pull up the Wikipedia entry for something called the Reign of Terror. Uh, I feel you shouldn't compare people criticizing you on Twitter to a mob like, say, that one. You know, I'm not even telling you to read a book. Just read a Wikipedia entry. Isn't that easy? Either way, enough of my pet peeves. Enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Amy Nicholson and Andrew T. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I'm curious going into this topic that we're getting into, like, what is your guys' media diet like? Like, how much... TV do you watch for the news? How much do you, are you tracking Twitter, social media, stuff like that? Yeah, I, I don't watch TV. (laughs) There's such an embarrassing thing to say Who just walked in? Oh, wow. (laughs) Dr. Nicholson. Do not have a doctorate. Um, Yeah, I'm just late. I've never figured out how to get TV to work on my TV, so I just don't watch TV and I don't have cable. (laughs) Um, So I'm straight Twitter, which is very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I am too, actually. I was talking about this with uh, someone last night who my friend has deleted Twitter from his phone and says he's happier. But then he was like, I don't know. I just read the newspaper and listen to NPR. I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you want to do that? I'm realizing. Newspaper is one thing, I guess. I don't. I, I. I. feel like like too much passive news is not good for me because I'm just like I'm not trying to hear fucking Donald Trump's voice like every like 15 minutes. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so I'm just like, all right, I'll I'll get to it when I get to it on Twitter, which is first thing when I wake up <laughs> and every 10 <laughs> seconds after. I think a lot about how I felt on November 7th, uh, 2016, thinking I'll never have to hear his voice again in two days. And won't that be wonderful? Yeah. Yeah, because we, we are talking about a phenomenon that has been happening on a rolling basis, especially after the election, but I think before too. And this mm-hmm. is people being outraged about things. Yeah. And I feel like I see a lot on, especially Twitter, people talking about outrage as if it's one kind of thing. Yeah. And I super, super don't get it because the the, the content of the outrage is the point, right? That's, that's what actually differentiates it. It's very weird. I, I was thinking about this because I was like, it feels like a generational thing that's so, like, all of the things we're about to talk about get lumped in with, ah, the internet. The internet did this. The internet did that. <laughs> and it is like... You know, that may have been true back in the envelope, like literally 35 years ago when the internet was just a bunch of like the same dorky computer science academics. We say the internet and then we say internet mobs or mobs, but the mobs are very different. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm fully guilty of this. The, the place I'm most guilty of a uh, version of this is when I say Reddit. When I say Reddit, I mean one thing that is not. 
sure. all of Reddit. <laughs> Probably not even most of Reddit, but I do mean a thing like, you know, the angry white guy bigots. Well, I think I think you're right that Reddit is sort of the front page of the internet for everybody, but even that is somewhat self-selecting. Yeah. Like this early internet we're talking about, where it's specific people using it for specific things. Right, right, right. It uh, over-indexes for all the things. It's many things, but it is most more than the population of the thing I have in mind. Yeah, yeah. Which is the evil Alexis, basically. <laughs> Uh, uh, expand on Alex's. Uh, what are you? What are you? <laughs> no, white guys, straight white guys oh. who are evil. <laughs> You're the good one. Oh, I, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. But see, that's the thing that came out it. fine. Go back and listen. That, what I said makes sense. But that's the special thing you're adding the, the ones who are evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, we're here to talk about people like Sarah Jong, about like people saying, yeah, like yeah. white people, this. Other groups of people that, yeah, but we're mean, but meaning the evil ones, just not adding those extra characters to Twitter. The thing that is like internally, I mean, I have to deal with this a lot because the name of my podcast is Yo, is this racist? So, you know, it's a very like, it's almost like uh, you know, people come to me like I'm a fucking dictionary sometimes, come to us like I'm a, like we're fucking <laughs> dictionary sometimes. And that is the one thing about the the internet that really I think breeds bad faith arguments is that you cannot tell what level you're talking to anyone at. Big time. Yeah. It's not even just like lack of nuance. It's just like we're often not even like agreeing what words mean. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So that's where like this yeah. internet mob or like you can't say that about white people and it's like well you can. To back up for a second cuz I know it's like impossible for me to do anything without talking about Tom Cruise like I wrote, no, no, please. I wrote this yeah. piece a couple years ago about like how we all took him on Oprah's couch out of context and it became this big joke. And when I wrote that piece in 2013, I was thinking about internet mobs then. Like mm-hmm. to me, the piece was like on the surface about crews, but underneath it, it was about, hey guys, we're really quick to judge. We're really quick to make a joke out of something without ever going and looking at what happened ourselves mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. looking at the video and realizing he didn't even jump on a couch. And so it was this idea. He no, he stands on the couch. This is like, I know that this is a crazy uh, distinction, but I swear to God, if I said right now, what did Tom Cruise right. do on Oprah? You're going to get a mental picture of him jumping up and down. Like it's a trampoline, which never happened, but we thought right. it did because of the way we talked about it, the way we joked about oh, it. Oh wow! And people never went back and actually watched the episode and realized he didn't jump at all. We just started using that word. I didn't know that. Yeah. He gets and stands on it. That's all. He stands on it once. And when you, sorry, now I'm like started. But when you watch the whole video, about five minutes before he gets on the couch at all, Oprah turns to him and says, you know, I saw you the other day at this banquet. It was really great. You were so excited to cheer for, I think it was Maya Angelou. You were so excited that Maya Angelou was there getting an award that I saw you stand on your chair. So she says to him, you stood on your chair. So when he gets excited five minutes later, he does what she had just kind of rewarded him for doing. He stands on the couch because oh, that's what's there. It's like a callback. It's a callback. He doesn't jump on it, but nobody knows that because we turned this sentence into something that was really taken out of context and nobody on the internet goes and looks at the original source. And so that's what this is about yeah. then. So mob culture has always really interested me. One other example that jumps to mind off that, because I, I learned it from Cracked, I had no idea when I was living through it, the famous, famous Mission Accomplished banner behind George W. Bush was not saying that the whole war was won. It was a banner specifically for the crew of the ship he was on because they had finished some they were kind going of tour. Right. And so their their specific personal mission as as sailors and soldiers was wrapped up, and he just happened to be in front of it. Whoa. But all of us ran. And, uh, and let me tell you, I don't like that guy at all. 
but I, within that, feel for him being wrapped up in that. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Uh, I will push back a little bit on that and say, like, <laughs> presidential lines of sight are meticulously micromanaged. And Absolutely, so that's he true. elected to stand in front of that thing, implying that the the mission was accomplished. Okay, and true. Our, in true. this current president elected to stand next to a biker who had a patch on his jacket that said, I heart guns and titties last weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, that guy was that guy was <laughs> a presidential novel, viewpoints right? are not always stage managed perfectly. <laughs> I don't know. I I would say hey, yeah. Maybe I, it pulled well. You know. It, yeah, he probably hey. does love titties. I bet he's never fired a gun though. <laughs> oh, wasn't that guy also a Nazi? Am I crazy? There was another Nazi. Oh, different yeah. Nazi. Sorry. Yeah, I blew up the picture to see yeah. if this dude had any Nazi stuff, which is why I saw the guns and titties. Match. Yeah. <laughs> but standing next to that guy is calculated. You don't think it's calculated? It probably I think, is. I think you're both right. I think, yeah. 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 We're both right. <laughs> See, we can talk about this in person, and the internet can't do it. We'd be fighting if we were tweeting about this. Yeah. would be like, Andrew hates me. Look at him. Just counting my guns and titties observation. I probably would have given up. <laughs> Sorry. But to what you're saying... <laughs> People get upset about something when we don't know that we don't know that we don't know all of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When we and I feel like you mentioned Sarah Zhang before, and let's get into some yeah, yeah. of these cases of recent outrages and whether or not they're bullshit or not, whether or not they were an actual thing to be mad about. And we've got some also general rules of thumb that people can use going forward, because yeah. I'm sure in the, I don't know, 10 minutes between recording this and releasing it, there will be a hundred more outrages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you'll want to use those. That'd be very good. Yeah, this isn't specific. These yeah. are just general <laughs> rules. But uh, Sarah Zhang is someone who's a writer and an editor and a columnist. And she got hired for a job at the New York Times And then after that, old tweets of hers were brought up where people decided that she was a a vicious and hateful racist toward white people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's really accurate. So if we could step back a little bit, though, because I I think we're already falling into the trap, which is like what you just said, people decided. Yeah, that's true. And it is like, well, no, a bunch of like racists arguing in bad faith decided to leverage the white people jokes into the person making a, the white people jokes is racist. Like, yeah, people. Well, nah. Yeah. It, and, and it's so hard not to do that. That's what I'm saying is like we all say say fall into that because you're like, oh, the internet decided, the mob decided. But it's like, yeah. yeah. that's true. I kind of said a gentle version of the mob, didn't I? Yeah. And, and it's really just a couple bad actors and then Andrew Sullivan. Well, then yeah. maybe the word that we should <laughs> well, zoom in on is bad faith. Bad. Let's zoom in on bad faith. Like how do we know if something is bad faith or not? Yeah, it's a big question. Because there is good faith. You know, there's people thinking like, this person screwed up, are in a position of power, should learn about it. Well, I would even argue bad faith is a reasonable thing, but you can be in good faith and wrong still, as would be many people on the the criticism of Sarah Jong's side. I could see someone who has no awareness of the history of race in the world and America thinking, you can't say that about white people. Right. And <laughs> truly meaning it and like not understanding, you know, how all of the history of America has worked. Fine. That's a yeah. good faith argument yeah. by an idiot. Like when I see... <laughs> like it's fine to have that, but it doesn't make it any less bad. I no. don't know. Like when I saw the Sarah Jong tweets, 
I just sort of groaned inside because I'm related to some of those people who would get who are very butthurt about stuff mm-hmm. like that and don't have the ability to think about it in context because I am related to a bunch of people who don't have a lot of money and are white people and are angry and feel like they got screwed too and yeah. they don't and they don't get it. You know? <sighs> yeah. I know. It's just like to those folks, who are you getting screwed by? And if you think it's a Sarah Jong, you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. And the people making those arguments are doing it in bad faith to keep them mad at Sarah Jong and yeah. not maybe yeah. the rich billionaires yeah. who are ruining the planet. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these people that we're going to talk about causing outrages are writers, comedians, film directors, uh, people who are clearly not oppressing white America if it is being oppressed, which it probably isn't. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> But like like you say, exactly, it's a weird thing where I think regular nice people are now often getting induced into being very angry at these people. And I don't know, yeah. maybe we can help them not be. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to float this out. What if a definition of good faith versus bad faith is this? Good faith is when you're upset at the idea and want to correct the idea that somebody said. Yeah. You know, bad faith is when you want to punish the person who said it. You're looking for the punishment mm-hmm. when the punishment of a person is the goal and not the correction of the idea. Am I explaining that? I didn't think of this right off the top of my head. Yeah, I think but I, is your I, think, target, I think you're right. Yeah. So the argument against that is that, again, deal with it a lot on the racism beat, is that that's intention-oriented. Uh, mm. Like, for instance, lots of racist stuff happens by people who are complicit in a racist system by people who are not racists, quote-unquote. Don't have animus specifically towards, you know, I think Hollywood, frankly, is a great example of that, right? Like, no one in Hollywood is a racist, you know, very rarely, vanishingly small percentage. And many of them, you know, consider themselves, people working in Hollywood consider themselves to be very conscious and, like, you know, love all people. And yet, it's undeniable that the product that Hollywood puts out is racially biased, you know, and right. sexist and, you know, homophobic or, you know, or at least in terms of, you know, normal things like representation and just like, you know, hiring practices. So all of those people are acting in good faith, not being, let's just say racist because it's easy right now, but, you know, extends to everything. And yet we have the thing that you, you look at all the movies that come out and all the TV and you're like, okay, well, then how did a bunch of not racists make this body of work? And so, so that's why the, the good faith, bad faith thing, like personally, I, I think bad faith is useful. I think good faith is of limited utility because so many bad things can happen when many quote unquote good people are acting in quote unquote good faith. Totally. I agree. I think, yeah, I think the difference in perspective is I was thinking of whoever is angry making the argument in good faith or bad faith, sure. not the person making the offense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I and, but and, and I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess what I'm saying but, yeah. is it's just like, yeah. I mean, some people are useful pawns. I mean, we're seeing yeah. that. You know, there's lots of, for instance, Trump supporters absolutely arguing in good faith. You know, parroting arguments made in bad faith. Sure, sure. You know, arguments that they believe, but that are flawed for any number of reasons. And so I'm like, okay, who cares what's in their heads or their hearts? You know, the same way Donald Trump will say, I'm the least racist person you know. And he could easily believe that, you know, but who cares? That's where good faith falls apart, where bad faith doesn't, I guess, is what I mean. Like, I don't know. Who cares? If it's the wrong result, it doesn't matter how much you were honest about it. 
Yeah, maybe. I, I think you're all right on in a lot of ways. And maybe looking at Sarah Zhang, backing up one step, some of the people we're going to talk about today, uh, we kind of talked about it before, and I, I laid down the law, and I was like, we are not going to quote some of the tweets and things that people got outraged about because they're gross. And, yeah, and yeah. You could, we'll footnote everything if you want evidence of them, but we won't. Uh, the Sarah Zhang ones are, are pretty tame. And yeah. uh, she joked on Twitter about, she did one tweet that was hashtag cancel white people. Yeah. One that was, white people are bullshit. Uh, one joke about how her whole plan this whole time was to prevent white people from breeding. Yeah. And she later said, hey, I was trying to do something satirical where I was parroting racist things people send to me. Also, here are some examples of it. And with this good faith, bad faith thing, I feel like the people in bad faith were saying, I can blow out these things she said in a way where I say they are hateful and racist to win. I'm mm-hmm. going to win. I'm going to score points. I'm going to knock someone out on the other team. Yeah. And then there were people in good faith who that bad faith stuff trickled down to maybe and then said, oh, well, it sounds like she's really racist and I'm really mad about it. Right? That feels like kind of yeah. the, the, the balance on that one. Yeah. yeah. Trickle, yeah. trickle down bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reagan's dream. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like the bad faith is people trying to get James Gunn fired yeah. and then adding it together and saying James Gunn must be a pedophile for making pedophile jokes like they I, they can't possibly really genuinely believe well, that well also yeah but then the good faith attack is those are kind of shitty jokes wish I hadn't made them probably yeah. shouldn't have right there's reasonable yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the problem I think a little bit is maybe maybe what we're hitting on is the merger of good faith and bad faith to me, the nuanced take with James Gunn is like, I mean, look, quirky white guys are a fucking dime a dozen. It's super easy to find one that n- who never made any pedophile jokes. <laughs> super doable. Give those people a chance. But it's also crazy, like wildly hypocritical of Disney to be like, this is out of line, c- considering all the other people they work with, you know. Yeah, and, and the other thing with you know the James Gunn thing is it's a campaign led by people who actively have supported child molesters for office. <laughs> so it's like like demonstrably these people do not care about pedophilia. Yeah, let's when let's it's politically expedient. Let's walk through just the basics of that story too, in case people don't know it. Because yeah. we um, also one of the rules of thumb with this that I feel like we can just set up is it's always good to look at who's leading this feeling of outrage. Not everyone who's mad about it. Like who who sparked this, who started it. And James Gunn, if people don't know, he was the director of many movies, including the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. You yeah. know about that if you have heard of movies. They're very famous. And he uh, since then, a guy named Mike Cernovich dug up a whole bunch of jokes that James Gunn really tweeted based on uh, pedophilia being something that he thought was a like yeah. humor construct that he could use. Then Cernovich framed it as, this guy is an actual pedophile, probably, because he did these jokes. And then Disney fired him from the film. Uh, since then, the whole cast did a combined We Stand Behind James Gunn kind of post. And there was a story in Esquire on August 10th saying that through back channels, Disney's probably trying to rehire Gunn because this has all been bullshit. Yeah. But then I think there was an article... Again, that said they're not. I would believe that. Yeah, Yeah. that said they're just done. I believe it's it's (laughs) Disney versus Marvel right now. Marvel being a subsidiary of Disney, but the Marvel people want him back and the Disney people don't want him back. Uh, 
Now that's the movie, right? Here we go. <laughs> also, but also, just hire Taika Waititi. Like you have a quirky guy who does Marvel movies who can absolutely handle this. Yeah, he did Ragnarok, right? Yeah, Before Ragnarok. It's like, great. Well, it's interesting to try to parse what Disney is so afraid of. You know, because I know they're aware yeah. of boycotts. People boycotting them, which I am actually quietly doing, at least for the theme parks. I don't like the way they're treating Anaheim at all and their workers. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole story. We'll, we'll footnote something yeah, about we'll that. That's a whole story. About that. yeah, that's, that's a amazing. whole deal. Yeah. But so there's an argument that maybe they panicked and they're worried that people would boycott the Guardians of the Galaxy films if this quote unquote possible pedophile was like making them without Googling Cernovich, which seems insane, right. and without knowing that Cernovich is the guy who started Pizzagate. Yeah. Pizzagate being the conspiracy <laughs> that this one pizza shop that Hillary Clinton ate yeah. pizza at once or twice. This guy maybe, is on like, the record. a basement full yeah. of pedophiles. This guy's on the record with a bunch of fake pedophilia accusations. He has previous with this exact MO. Yeah, like, exactly. And they knew about the tweets. Like, obviously, Disney are not, I mean, look, they're idiots in some ways, but they're thorough you know, with their billion-dollar franchises. They absolutely knew about (laughs) the things that he'd done and had elected to, you know, they they decided that that the PR on the balance was fine. They were comfortable with James Gunn. A man who directed fucking Tromeo and Juliet, by the way. One of the most upsetting (laughs) movies I've ever seen in my life. But so that's what I'm so curious about, is for Disney to act in panic like this, are they afraid of an internet mob coming after them if they don't fire him? Are they afraid that, like... Cernovich is not going to buy a ticket to Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. 3, which was not going to happen because one of Cernovich's arguments about why we needed to fire James Gunn was that he said, how can Disney let this man work around children being pretty unaware that there are no children in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies? It's all full-grown adults. Yeah, who, <laughs> most of whom are aliens anyway. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the raccoon's can... technically a minor. <laughs> I mean, just... <laughs> But from saying that, you know that he's never seen one. It's like Cernovich being like, well, I'll never get a takeout from Comet Pizza ever again. I mean, what exactly is he – what does his anger matter if they had thought about it? So I think a little bit, yeah. though, the Disney execs are of a generation and a level of power. By the way, Disney execs, you're going to hugely benefit from this very podcast we're on. They do not understand that the quote-unquote internet mob is composed of different groups little hateful ones run by Mike Cernovich, like large progressive and useful ones run by people like Black Lives Matter. Like there's there's different mobs. So they thought, oh, the mob is coming for him. Uh-oh, this is bad PR. Not realizing that again, like Cernovich is a liar. A, you know, consistent yeah. liar. And one guy. Yeah. And one guy abetted <laughs> by a lot of Bot accounts that yeah. make him look like there's actually people who care. Bots and racists and idiots. And it's like, good. To flip it the other way, what if you made a movie like that was consonant with Mike Cernovich's point of view? Oh, God. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that would be the most offensive possible piece of work you could make. So, guess yeah. what? That guy's not your audience. <laughs> it's true. If you made a Cernovich movie, it would have things like date rape is totally fine. Yeah. Not an issue. Doesn't happen. It's really, yeah. and it doesn't seem that hard to me to check the source of the accusation. I mean, yes. it just seems very simple. I think it's because for the decision makers at Disney, they just see, oh, the, the mob is at it again, and they're after us. We must pacify the quote-unquote mob. And that's why it's dangerous. Not dangerous. Who cares? But like, that's how they make incorrect decisions. 
Yeah. Well, like, it makes me think of this. Like, what do you guys do when somebody tweets something mean to you on Twitter? Oh, um, oh boy. I think I usually let it go. Maybe mute them. Yeah. All right. Honestly. Here's the thing. I feel like there's regular people just being mean randomly. And yeah. then there are people who, there's also a sub rule with this outrage stuff of who's causing it. If they're ever described as a provocateur in the news, <laughs> they're just an asshole. That's yeah, code yeah, for yeah, asshole. Yeah. Just know that. Fancy asshole. Uh, but like every once in a while I get a mean tweet and I'm like, I think they're trying to like start a thing to get noticed or something. And so yeah. then I just, then I extra don't do anything with it. Because I'm not going to help them out. But how do you decide that? Because do you do what I do, which is you go and look at their page and be like, do they do nothing but tweet mean things at people? Is their yes. general tone angry? Then you yeah. did more research than Disney did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the last one was somebody who not only only tweeted that kind of stuff, but their avatar picture was a guy I know who is not the person. They were impersonating oh, somebody weird. I know. Which was really, really... I believe against the term to service of Twitter oh, and also just creeps. screwy. I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> uh, my role is if I happen to be walking into the gym and I'm about to be sitting on an exercise bike for 45 minutes, you get 45 minutes of my time. <laughs> uh, and my, otherwise it's a block, but, uh, or unless you have more than, I don't know, 5,000 followers with a, the my favorite is when people with like twenty thousand followers, but who follow like twenty eight thousand people, come at me <laughs> and like I got this platform. It's like sure, <laughs> yeah. But I tr attempt. I have maybe like a six percent success rate with this, but I attempt usually because it's usually racist people that come after me to play so dumb that they say something racist, like more overtly racist than the racist thing they already said. Uh, which again, sometimes is very, very funny because when it's like the the like the quote unquote reasonable racists who are like, oh, I'm you know, I'm just saying, you know, and, and they don't want to say like the N-word or whatever. And then you find the people who are very comfortable with it. Well uh, well Amy, what about you? What do you do if somebody well, exactly to that, that question? I check and see if they're a crazy person. Right. That's yeah. What what happens if they're? Uh, I mean, they're always a crazy person. But what happens if they are a person with a platform? Or like, what do you do in those cases? That only happened a couple times, actually, because of that Tom Cruise article I was talking about. Uh -huh. I got sick. I got sicked upon by like the Scientology people, the Scientology oh. haters who can be just as crazy. I don't know if Scientologists even tweet at you. But there is like a cult of people who are very loud who have made their career writing books and articles about why Scientology is evil. And I do agree that Scientology is evil. I think Miscavige right. is a bad person. And I think Tom Cruise is maybe the only person who truly believes in it from a place of goodness, which makes him naive. <laughs> yeah. It makes Good him faith. All, He's yeah. acting right. absolutely in good faith that the alien lord is helping him. But I, And I think it kind of, if you look at his life. He's I know. Got a point. But <laughs> oh, objectively, he he ain't wrong. Every principle has a hundred percent worked for him. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever so, makes you that action, Grandpa. You know, whatever yeah. does it. Yeah. When you read his very <laughs> early interviews from when he's like twenty-two, he basically says Scientology saved me from being dyslexic. I had a really hard time with it, and it, it really dyslexia to Tom Cruise. Going back to his childhood, seems to be a thing that really weighed heavily on him. And I think Scientology, when he's a kid. Helping him have that, helping him have a community when he didn't want to go outside because you get attacked by fans. Mm. You got to have like his community. Mm. It, it's difficult, I think. But I do think Scientology is a fucking nightmare for most people who belong in it, and it's horrible. However, yeah, if you say anything about Tom Cruise without attacking Scientology, there are the people with big platforms who have made their living hating Scientology who do come at you and write articles about like how you left Scientology out. Mm. And 
I think I just ignored them, honestly. Yeah. I'm just an ignorer because, like, I don't know. Yeah, what's the point? There are people who fight in bad faith where it doesn't matter what you say. Just interacting with them gives them even more volume. Well, that's why I I sort of recommend giving the the play dumb route. Just literally like, wait, what does that mean? And just, like, let them go. Try it one time. Ultimately, they'll say something really fucked up and then screenshot that and then block them. (laughs) <laughs> just throwing it out there just throwing it out there it's sometimes fun it's a it's a deft needle to thread uh, not to be too much of a pacifist but also I think there is an argument to not go after those people whether they're in good or bad faith because if they're in good faith especially if it's like I also hate Scientology like why fight them yeah, you know yeah. exactly like we're, we all are mostly on the same side let's just be cool and then if they're in bad faith there's, it's an, it was an amazing Twitter joke. I want to say it was Andy Richter, but it was something about like trying to fight with those kind of people is like trying to drown a vampire in your blood. Like, yeah. they'll, they'll just, they'll yeah, take yeah. it forever and you will be dead. You'll be like a husk. At yeah. Some point. Like don't, don't, uh, don't like feed them. The critical thing of my strategy of fake feeding them is you're doing it for yourself. Yes. You're never doing it for them. So I'm doing it with a goal of screenshotting this idiot saying something that I can then use later for yeah. something else. So, that is the caveat. So yeah, don't do it. It's it's a stupid waste of time. So maybe this is where we but maybe this is where we get into good faith and bad faith on our part. Like mm-hmm. I will not engage with anybody on Twitter or on Facebook who says like Oh, well, why was it okay to deny Sarah Sanders service at a restaurant when, like, we had a whole lawsuit about baking gay people cakes, right? Yeah. Because that went around for a while. Yeah. And I don't bother engaging with that if it's on Facebook. But I have, like, an aunt and uncle who I truly love, and they're my second parents. Oh, great. And, um, and you know, they kind of got that impression, too. You know, it's like it was a popular whataboutism argument. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. And— with them, I, like, bother to talk about it with them yeah. in person. You know, like, here's the difference. One of those people is in power and has the ability to shape and ruin other people's lives, that being Sarah Sanders. Like, one of those people is making policies that destroy the lives of other of other people. And the other person is somebody who wants a cake for a reason that they were just born with. They love yeah. this person. You know, one is a choice right, and one is— Sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah sexual orientation. Yeah. One is a choice and one is not a choice. Yeah. And one of them is hurting people and one of them isn't. And that's the distinction. And I wouldn't bother doing that on Facebook I guess just because I, I feel mean, it, but yeah. maybe yeah. I should. I, I you you shouldn't feel compelled to, but it is like the Sarah Sanders versus the cake thing. It's literally like illustrative of the difference between color of your skin, i.e., how you are born, and content of your character, i.e., what you do. Yeah, like that is <laughs> a, that is the difference is right there. One of those per- people is choosing to do bad things and the other person was born also uh, one thing not everybody knows about that sarah sanders thing is that the owner of the restaurant took a vote of the staff before they asked her to leave which is democracy folks it's great yeah vote get into it they also comped her cheese plate and you know they were they were 100 percent up board about it it was great (laughs) they couldn't have done it any better honestly (laughs) no i'm again i'm i'm all for just throwing the fuck out just yell at him. I'm part of the mob. I'm part of the mob. Yeah. The good part. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. They have the Cracked Podcast back because they have Cracked listeners back too. They want to set you up with a website. They have all of the tools you need, and they are easy-to-use tools. Man, I don't know if you've seen like a crafting show you know, or a baking show where people are doing all sorts of very, very difficult things to do. Building a website, it turns out it's very easy because you can use Squarespace's templates, customize them however you want, and it's all 
easy and simple and intuitive. If you are wise enough to operate a podcast, I think you're wise enough to build a website with Squarespace. Then you can use their e-commerce functionality to sell anything online if you want to do that. Also, your website will be optimized for mobile right out of the box. So whatever it's for, it will look right on a phone. It won't look really freaky and weird, and I think that's good. They also make buying domains very simple, so you will get the exact name you want. Because if you have a website, the way you share it with people is you say, my website is yadadada.com, but don't say yadadada. They won't be able to find it. Say the unique domain that you've gotten with the help of Squarespace. I think that all sounds great, and I think you should take advantage of it. So head to squarespace.com slash cracked and do a free trial of their fantastic service. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash cracked, C-R-A-C-K-E-D, offer code cracked. Support for today's show comes from RxBar. RxBar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking. That's why they list their ingredients right on the front of the packaging. You've probably seen it. Uh, they're, they're the ones who use egg whites for protein, dates to bind it, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. RX Bar comes in 14 delicious flavors like mango, pineapple, chocolate chip, peanut butter, and other seasonal flavors. It's gluten-free, soy-free, and free of artificial flavors and preservatives. And they're great for all kinds of occasions. Maybe it's breakfast on the go. Maybe it's a pre-workout snack. Maybe it's three o'clock and you're like, let's roll, let's get a snack in. Well, RX Bar just debuted a new RX Nut Butter. Every single serving packet of it contains delicious creamy nut butter with nine grams of high quality protein. And it comes in three flavors, honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. That goes with basically everything. I don't know what you couldn't snack with that. It's squeezable and spreadable and pairs great with fruit, rice, cakes, pretzels, or straight out of the pouch. And I myself, I'm, I'm a big mango pineapple bar kind of guy. Like, I'm in LA, and it's sort of always summery here. Not to brag, and it's super not a brag right now. It's way too hot. Uh, but I'm always kind of looking for a summer flavor, because in my Illinois head, it's just summer all the time. And mango pineapple, that's such a tropical combo. Uh, it's a really, really great tasty bar, and I know exactly what I'm eating. It, it feels nice to not be mystified by exactly what's going into my body. Like I am, uh, you know, most of the rest of the time. Just kind of a mystery that I roll with. Our X bar it doesn't have to be. And you can enjoy the non-mystery yourself by ordering up some RX bars. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash cracked and enter promo code cracked at checkout. This Gun Cernovich thing, it also, it's it's tricky because Amy mentioned whataboutism, which is another rule we'll get into, I think, because I feel like one handy thing is when an outrage comes up in the world and you're reading about it, if the only defense of what the person did is, well, what about this other person? Mm-hmm. Then they, they probably did a bad thing, I feel. Like if yeah. that's the entire defense, if that's the only thing. Because as James Gunn was being defended by a lot of people for his jokes, there was a meme going around about the right before that firing of Roseanne Barr in May of 2018 for for one tweet that was her thousandth terrible tweet. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was fired for it, and then the Fox News headline going around was "Stars rally around liberal James Gunn after offensive tweets." Unlike reaction to Trump supporting Roseanne Barr, and yeah. uh, different stuff, but not to some people. They were like, "Now Roseanne is right just because of this other guy," which is not true. Doesn't make sense. Exactly, yeah. and also to frame her tweet as just Trump supporting and not flagrantly racist. 
Right. Not not comparing a, a, a person to an ape. Yeah. Right. That, that headline is in bad faith. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, Fox News' entire uh, MO is in bad faith. They can't, I mean, because they're like struggling against reality at a certain point. So they're just like, how do we spin this? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It but seems the, laborious work in there. I, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. That, what about as a note? The image I get in my head when you talk about it is like someone being like, oh, this person's on fire. Well, the only thing I can do about it is like, put my tiki torch on them and set somebody else on fire. Like yeah. that's my best option. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not right. on fire. <laughs> Tough you're shit. On fire now, man. <laughs> As thinking people with James Gunn, I think the thing that's reasonable to concede is like, he shouldn't, he, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't make those jokes. And it's an epidemic of like comfortable white dudes making jokes like that is a problem. But like, it's clear that the pedophilia insinuation to his person is fake. Like, it's it's yeah. backed by no evidence. Whereas, yeah, yeah. like, Roseanne's racism and more is backed by mountains of evidence. I don't know. It's just like the whataboutism right. stuff always falls apart under any scrutiny. And it's just like, okay, so you scored the point. Like, you didn't care when Roseanne got fired for being a bigot. And it's like, yeah, okay, but James Gunn didn't get fired for being a pedophile. He got fired for saying, you know what I mean? Like, right. Like, yeah. his, I, I feel in Gunn's case, his work reflected no pedophilia at all. Yeah. And then Roseanne, especially the, the return of her show, will footnote, like, there were jokes in it that sort of hand-waved diversity on television as a silly thing. Yeah. Uh, there's also a great Cracked article. It's framed as a fan theory, but it's really looking at that in the first run of Roseanne, there was a lot of stuff about how the Roseanne character had been physically abused by a parent. And so that weighed on her heavily when she decided whether or not to spank her children or something like that. And then in the reboot, she's super callous about spanking. Like, ah, just kids need a good spanking. Well, she's Homer Simpsoning. Yeah, so she's kind of, it's a weird thing where the actual human Roseanne is bleeding into the character with the exact same name. And so yeah. the things she's tweeting about and quote unquote joking about are also being broadcast to millions of people in the entire country as ideas they should be into. You know, I, th I think there's a difference there. I think it's materially important. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, when Ted Cruz tweets, wow, these James Gunn tweets are just horrible. Child rape is no laughing matter. As a Texas state general, I've handled, I handled far too many child sexual assaults. Truly evil. I'm glad Disney fired him. But if these, if these tweets are true, he needs to be prosecuted. Does Ted Cruz believe this? Or, like, is Ted Cruz so dumb he might actually not know he's being dumb? Because that's the thing. Like, we, I feel like when all these regular people we know in our lives are like, well, it sounds like he's really bad. You know, they've been fooled. Ted Cruz is a United States senator, as far as I understand. He went to Princeton. And he repeatedly doubled down on Twitter on if he if James Gunn tweeted these jokes, he is probably a pedophile in if real life, and we need to investigate it. Yeah, like what? I can't tell no, if he's, he's like the you know you know remember how like in elementary school like there'd be a joke and then the kid on the sidelines who was not invited in the joke would be like yeah and like pick up on like the nickname somebody was using or be like that's right I love pepperoni pizza but a ding da ding or whatever like yeah is that Ted Cruz here or is Ted Cruz really like I can. I'm serious about this. Like, do we have any evidence? <laughs> <laughs> if I actually might make make a sort of counter argument and I guess ultimately defense of Ted Cruz, there's holes in this, but I kind of sort of stand behind it, um, which is that like, you know, we, we've been sort of saying that the antidote to all of this is nuance. 
and like examining the details. And though that is the correct way to for everyone to have the truth, there is a part of me that is like, as humans, we have been taking like the sort of meta message of things and removing the nuance to have discussions about bigger things. You know, so so, so Ted Cruz is just saying basically like he's saying a dumb thing, which is like anyone who opposes Trump should be scrutinized, blah, blah, blah. It's a political attack on an enemy. But, you know, I was thinking like the kind of like example of this is like we agree that Abraham Lincoln was a good guy. Yeah. And when you examine the nuance, it's very complicated. Surely he was a white supremacist like every person who was white in the day was in terms of believing that white people are fundamentally better than other people, it's, you know, relatively unclear, but it's like, yeah, he probably, you know, there's, there was a big political element to, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation, right? So all of those things are true. At the same time, any criticism of Abraham Lincoln is a merger of, like, nuance with bad faith. Like, racists just hate him because he's, you know, because he did a thing for black folks, you know? Right. So, so... <laughs> To me, partially, there is some value of stripping away the nuance in, like, like in Abraham Lincoln and just being like, this was good. You know, asterisk, if we're in a fucking graduate level course, we can talk about the problems. Anyway, just throwing that out there. Maybe, maybe the lack of nuance is good. Lincoln's fine. And <laughs> right. anything north of 51% good in this case just has to be good. This is just being played out like a game. This is being played out like a chess game. You're like, yeah. this move, I might lose this pawn, but I, I save that knight or something. Yeah. That's sort of how this feels. And it, it feels like that even in a bigger way. It feels like Cernovich going after Gunn is him just getting a bishop after us taking Roseanne, the new box office queen. Yeah. Yeah. And he even, when you mentioned before the idea that when these bad actors win one, they're super emboldened to keep going. Once uh, James Gunn was fired, Mike Cernovich then went on to, as far as I can tell, just Rolodex what other comedians are on Twitter and then go after all of them. Yeah. And he dug up a video of Dan Harmon's from Channel 101 in 2009 and didn't get Dan Harmon fired, but convinced Dan Harmon to apologize for it, which he already had, and then leave Twitter completely. Yeah. That Dan um, Harmon one really cracks me up because, you know, I love Rick and Morty. I think it's like a really funny show, but there are, yeah. a, lot of, there are a lot of dicks who like Rick and Morty, yeah. too. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah kind of most, like, mostly dicks. Yeah, but what? Oh, well, come on. But then it, I'm thinking it's of this so good, Venn though. I know. Like, like. It's so good. <laughs> I'm thinking of this Venn diagram of like, we shouldn't let the dicks have Rick and Morty. I think we need to take it back, by the way. But <laughs> this Venn diagram of them, and they're also probably the ones who agree with Cernovich, and then the ones who don't really realize that Rick and Morty started from a Channel 101 sketch where it was just a Back to the Future ripoff where Marty had to lick Doc's balls to get the time machine to work? Like, <laughs> yeah. do they not understand how all of these pieces fit together in creating the thing that they love and have rampaging sauce riots about? Yeah. <laughs> but that I think that is the the where the bad faith comes in. And, and partially the bad faith is like a cudgel. Like, what these people want is for Dan Harmon to shut the fuck up about politics. Right. And, and, and same so, with Gunn. That was exactly, yeah. he was only gone after because he said things that they didn't like about Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's their, this is their version of um, bigots enforcing the, like, stick to entertainment. You know, they really, really want the people that make the things that they love to agree with them. And guess what? Right-wing assholes 
None of us do. But no, that's, why- that's <laughs> like four very terrible comedians do, and you can see them every night of the week. But that's why I think it's so interesting that they went after this like lesser Dan Harmon sketch and not the one that specifically created their show. Which 100%. is also super easy to find. It's just right there. You can find it in two seconds on YouTube. And they went after the one that had nothing to do with the thing that they still wanted to love. I think the the inside baseball of that, though, is I think that sketch was more Justin Roiland, and I believe Roiland is pretty quiet about politics. Mm. Oh, interesting. I don't, yeah. I don't know enough about that. But, but when you trace back like how this whole thing worked, I was realizing that Ben Shapiro really feels like this big hinge. Uh, ben Shapiro is like the conservative yeah. asshole on Twitter. Super yeah. tiny, tiny man who's a very, very stupid. Yeah, but it seems like the way this whole thing played out is that Ben Shapiro was being a monster, being mad about Roseanne. And then for whatever reason, Mark Duplass kind of like got involved and he was like, we should be, you know, nicer to people. Maybe follow Ben. And then everybody got upset. And then I think that's when James Gunn like yeah. entered the fray. Like it was like your next challenger enters and he was going after Shapiro. So it was like this like slippery slope of things that got him on the radar in the first place. Yeah. It's like yeah. this mob fight where everybody just kept jumping in and then everybody wound up dead. Like yeah. Mark <laughs> Duplass had to write this huge apology. Well, and Shapiro has probably not apologized for anything because that side doesn't apologize for yeah. anything. But. Yeah, it's part of their masculinity, I think, is yeah. what they're into. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but also like, again, it's – Great that James Gunn is who he is, but we have also lionized him, given him the platform to speak politically at the expense of people who have never done shit like that. You know, I I don't want to say it's an epidemic of like straight white guys, but like I will just say I feel very confident saying anyone who has any sort of, you know, non power based identifier is less likely to have fucked up shit like that in their past. Like the Wendy Molyneux tweets. Yeah. Yeah, after all this happened, because also worth mentioning, one other person Cernovich went after was the comedian Michael Ian Black, who's great, and also had tweeted long in the past a very similar set of pedophilia is a comedic construct I'm going to use jokes yeah. that are much like guns they suck real bad they're not good jokes yeah, yeah. but he uh, they uh, they both pushed back with hey come on and then meanwhile Wendy Molyneux who's also a great uh, comedy writer and, and she works on Boss Burgers and does other things but she did a, a long Twitter thread about basically the idea that she is among other things a foster parent and she was like hey to be a foster parent there is an insane amount of vetting and if I had ever tweeted anything like that, I could not have my kids. It would just not be a thing. Yeah. And it is amazing that all of these people, all of whom happen to be white men, feel just empowered to do pedophilia jokes all, whenever they want and with no consequences. I'm sure they don't do that in real life, but holy cow, what a lot of privilege. So yeah. great for them. <laughs> or, or, you know, not even, maybe when they do do it in the real life, they do it with the expectation that the actual, like, crux of the joke is I'm not a pedophile, and we all agree because we all agree I'm a good person. So isn't it funny that a good person is saying these horrible things? That is yeah. the entire comedic, like, crux of those bits, you know, the eating babies kind of thing, whatever. It, that that's a thing where you're like, yeah, white guys have been so conditioned to believe, hey, everyone knows we're good. Right. Everyone, we all agree. We all come to the table believing the comedic premise that I'm good. So anything that de- deviates from that creates tension that we enjoy. Right. And it's like, yeah, 
But if you take away that premise of we don't all agree you're good, the jokes <laughs> fall flat. That, that's the basis to me of ironic racism. And we see it a lot. We're like, we just have to agree you're not racist so that when you say racist things, it's funny. And I'm kind of seizing on these words like funny and irony and like sarcasm and stuff because, I mean, they've done studies. I don't think I'm being like completely unhinged to say that they have calculated that people whose political views align more authoritarian and right wing don't have a good sense of humor as much so, which is why there aren't that many huge right wing comedians, but a ton of people on the left. I mean, and so I'm wondering about does this difference in humor influence when people decide to be like good or bad actors? Like to me... Trump claims a lot of his worst tweets are satire, but I have yeah. an impossible time believing that because Trump seems like the sort of person whose idea of humor is like watching a nerd fall down the stairs. Yeah. Like he's not <laughs> right. a satire guy. He doesn't have a he doesn't have like a double meaning to stuff. I think that's yeah. that's where Cernovich really and his clones really like tell on themselves. It's like, yeah, because they're like like authoritarian humor is this like proclamation and often very like mean for the meanness is the joke but also there is so rarely levels of artifice to it so so when yeah. they say oh t- if you tweeted this stuff you must be a pedophile i think it really shows that right wing people when they do shit they just mean it like it's like yeah you know why because if Mike Cernovich anytime he you know when he t- he tweets a quote unquote joke about how there's no such thing as date rape there's no joke he 100% believes that yeah. like it's it's just like one of those things i mean i love well, every like every like 3 or 4 years when they try to make a right wing daily show and it's always <laughs> shit like that they're just like i will pick on a weakness on a political enemy and make fun of that weakness. And that is the entirety of the joke. Because it's like, that's how like the authoritarian mindset thinks. And so that is how you make a joke. You find someone's weakness and you make fun of it. Because when you say no artifice, in the case of these people, with Cernovich in particular, he, like you say, does a lot of tweets, jokes, or even just they feel like statements that are essentially pro-rape. I, I don't know yeah. how else to describe them. We're not going to quote them because they're gross, but... Also, according to the New Yorker, they they reported this in the New Yorker, he was accused of rape in 2003, and then he pled it down to misdemeanor battery. The record's since been expunged, and then the next year he started being an online pundit. There's also one of the rules of thumb we can look at is, sure, this person we were outraged about said something. Also, what do they do in the world? What is their impact on the world? And it seems like James Gunn, super ill-advised jokes he probably shouldn't have made, also, that's where it stops. And someone like Mike Cernovich, who got him fired from a job, different. It extends to the actual world we live in. Yeah, that's what I liked about Michael Ian Black's response when Cernovich and the gang started to go after him. Is he said, yeah. wow, this is quite a come down from James Gunn, Mike. We've had this conversation before. There's a qualitative difference between being a comedian making jokes, even offensive jokes, me, and somebody being charged with rape in 2003, you. Right. Is that in his, like, <laughs> internet clapback, he reminded people of the facts of who Cernovich really is and what he's really done. Yeah. And that it wasn't just, like, a throwaway gag. It was like, hey, truth, truth is here. It was just a substantial, this is what's actually happening. Yeah. And like, and like same with Sarah Zhang, there's a, a great piece in, uh, well, also the New Yorker by Jelani Cobb, where he is ultimately backing her, I think, but he makes a pretty good point. I feel that overall her satire doesn't really work 
and it oh, is overall yeah. negative. I wanted to jump in. Oh, I don't know about overall negative, but I wanted to jump in earlier when we brought it up. It's like East Asian people particularly. I, I feel like there's a strain of East Asian humor that really is like, well, what if it were white people? How would you feel? And like, it's a little like, guys, it doesn't work. Most racists would be like, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> like, guess what? That doesn't acknowledge the real fucking power dynamic out there. I don't know. Yeah. I just hate the, I hate the jokes specifically. I support Sarah Jog, but I, I do, those well, are very weak jokes. And because like ultimately she is not worsening racism, is not contributing to those power dynamics being worse. As yeah. she, and then, you know, within that, they don't work as jokes. But like, yeah. look at what she actually does. It's positive. If they have a value, and I'll try to like, make sure I explain this clearly because it's sort of complicated for me to even articulate. When I see those tw- those jokes, especially stuff about like white women, there's a lot of white women jokes on the internet, you know, and I get it. Like we're, we're pretty unpopular. I can't believe that so many of us voted for Trump and it pisses me off like yeah. incessantly. <laughs> but when I see those jokes, I get that little flinge of like, oh, and like a little bit of anger for a second and a little bit of feelings hurt. And then I think, oh, this is what it feels like to be made fun of for yeah. your race and your gender, which I haven't had that much of in my life, you know? And I think that pain is good for me to experience. I agree. My my rare one is the Midwest. People be like, oh yeah, all those mouth breathers in the Midwest. And I'll be like, yeah. mm, from Illinois, uh, mom from Iowa. Hey. But, okay, can I, can, I just, <laughs> it out. can I just say this though? <laughs> the Midwest thing is still code for like white. Cause like I'm from fucking Michigan. I was born in Michigan. And yeah. guess what? No one thinks of me as a Midwest person. Uh, you know? yeah. When I talk shit about the Midwest, I've had people come at me very hard and, you know, essentially without knowing my biography, like clearly thinking I'm like some kind of coastal, you know, ethnic person. I'm huh. like, yeah, I'm more fucking Midwest than like 90% of you assholes. Like, <laughs> and again, born in Michigan, I'm, I'm polite as fuck. You can hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel we're all polite as fuck. We're great. We're yes. great. Yeah. We should just recall, recall this show, Polite as Fuck. Polite as Fuck. <laughs> polite as fuck. Do we want to talk about Anthony Jeselnik too? Well, yeah, I think he ties into the Michael Ian Black thing. Like, yeah. you know, I liked that Michael Ian Black was like responding to Cernovich in the real world. Whereas what Jeselnik did, I think, also really worked for him and his breed of comedy. When they started to go after him for offensive tw- stuff, he just said, scrolling through my timeline for offensive tweets is like looking for a needle in a needle store on customer appreciation day. And he was basically <laughs> like, bring it on. So one of them was like fighting back specifically, and one of them was more, go ahead. And I think they both worked. Yeah, yeah. And especially given their kinds of comedy, because... Yeah. I, I I love Anthony Jeselnik's stuff, and on one of his recent specials is called Thoughts and Prayers. He has a section at the very end where he explicitly says, "This is the only time I'm going to be earnest." I think in my entire comedy career, and then the whole rest of the time, he basically has the comedic voice of Satan. It's just yeah. fully evil, and yeah. no redeeming element to it at all, all the time. Uh, but then the actual person, he makes it clear that. Uh, I think the chunk in Thought and Thoughts and Prayers that's earnest is about how he did take down one of his jokes because he didn't want the crew of his TV show to get fired with him, which is not a Sep Roseanne took, uh, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But she uh, almost got them all fired. (laughs) That is the one thing that is weird, too, about like, like, like we see this a little bit in the mobs of people who are like beholden to a corporation versus like, like Jeselnik's main bread and butter is touring and then selling specials to massive media corporations. But yeah. he has no boss, really. 
Yeah, that story was the one time he was doing a show. I think it's called the Jessel Nick. Yeah, on, on Comedy Central. But otherwise, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. He just but, goes to crowds who know exactly what he's going to be doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, but you know, James Gunn wasn't was fired because Disney, the corporation, you know, was incorrectly calculated the the PR cost of this this thing. The, the version that I see on the other side of people who should be more punished is like Mario Batali. It's like okay, some people don't really want to work with him, but like the mob still eating that food, you know, yeah. like, and he isn't really suffering any real consequences. Well, and he from, was a chef that had a me too scandal. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's just one of those things where you're like, right. In a way, the mob is kind of, you know, when applied well, the only way to actually like apply some level of justice sometimes. I don't know. I'm very pro-mob, I'm realizing, or pro the good parts of the mob. <laughs> I've been thinking about the mob in terms of democracy a lot lately, about how, as Americans, it it has felt at times and definitely can. Like, as I was pulling up into the studio today, I was reading about how a primarily black county in Georgia has decided to shut seven of their nine polling places just so people can't vote in November. Yeah. Well, the state of Georgia has decided to fuck with a black county. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I think in a time where it's harder and harder for people to feel like our vote matters, even though we all are absolutely voting, absolutely have to, if we don't, this, I think this is our last time. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about how all we have is our voting dollars. Yeah. And we can decide, to, like, we can make corporations affect change. I thought about this a lot when I was doing a piece um, on feminism and Walmart because Walmart has this, like, film festival for female rights, basically, and it's, like, female directors promoting yeah. all sorts of things. We'll, we'll link it. It's amazing. People should read it. Yeah, but I was thinking about that in that piece about how Walmart is our leverage to get good things to happen, which is weird. It's, like, whether or not we buy things at Walmart or what we buy at Walmart influences policy in the state of Arkansas because they are the biggest company in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of a story related to that where, like, when Martin Luther King got an award in Atlanta in the 60s, um, the Atlanta businessmen didn't want to have a banquet for him. They didn't want to celebrate his award because they're all white businessmen. And Coca-Cola mm -hmm. had to say, this looks so bad for Atlanta. We're your biggest company. I don't care what y'all think. If we don't have this banquet we're going to pull out of Atlanta. And so it's these corporations affecting racial change that shouldn't be their business, but it's almost the only way we as consumers wow. have an impact in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that happens all that. Well, that also makes me think of, I want to say it was Arizona that was the last state to accept Martin Luther King Day. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons was that they otherwise couldn't get a Super Bowl. Like the Super Bowl was going to say, oh. if your state isn't doing this, we aren't going to Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Speaking NFL, of, the NFL, a force for lots of positive change and nothing wrong with it, uh, changed it. The version of capitalism we have now, there is the part of like, you know, no corporations doing it out of um, the goodness of their heart or for equality. They've just run the numbers and realized that more equality or something closer to equality is better for their bottom line. Mm. So that's a thing that you know I, I struggle with a lot, which is like like the in Hollywood now this diversity kick is market driven, not you know or not even yeah. market driven, but by like keeping representation out of Hollywood for so long, unconsciously or subconsciously, Hollywood has been leaving money on the table every year. They mm. are they fuck up by not by leaving talent on the table, by leaving you know stories that would resonate or be profitable, you know. And Hollywood's maybe a bad example because there's enough people in the business who think they're artists and enough artists who are really just business people. But, but it is true. Whatever, like, yeah. Every time like a, a 
even like a female comedy does well. People are surprised, and it's like you could be making that money consistently. Yeah. Using the sports metaphor, it's basically just like there's so much like saber metrics being left on the table in the entertainment industry. Like you can get stories from marginalized people and hire them for currently cheaper than you could or like invest in less than you would for a white story. And guess what? It is profitable. You can be the A's of <laughs> right, the moneyball thing. Yeah, yeah. You can you should be moneyballing Hollywood and the fact that they still haven't is ridiculous. And this is another place where like good faith, bad faith intentions, like absolutely doing the right thing for at best neutral intentions, if not slightly nefarious intentions. Do we find that to be problematic? Do we need the good thing to happen for the right reason or else it's not good? That's interesting. Well, even thinking about baseball, it makes me think of the actual story of Jackie Robinson because as I've understood that story, part of him being able to break the color barrier in baseball was that he was really, really good. Like The yeah. Dodgers realized, oh, there's a market reason for us to bring this really good player in. So it's both the right thing to do and also we should get all of this talent that everybody else is leaving out of the league. Yeah. Well, yeah. sports is another thing like Hollywood in that it has two goals that may not be consonant. You know, selling tickets is one goal of a sports team and winning championships is another goal of a sports team. And usually those go hand in hand, but if your racist fans are, are going to have a, you know what I mean? Or if hypothetically you're worried that your racist part of your fans yeah. will not buy tickets even though you're winning a championship or whatever, you know, things cross over. I don't know. Well, because because there's also I don't know how exactly accurate it is, but there's also a narrative that I learned later around the Boston Red Sox curse, where they didn't win a championship for a long, long time. They, if I remember it, were also the last team in baseball to sign black players, and so <laughs> the the narrative was, oh, we're cursed because we traded away Babe Ruth, and then magic cursed us. But also, there's an element of maybe you were like artificially depressing the quality of your team because you were racist. Oh, you know, like, maybe that's why you didn't win for a couple decades there. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I will know. say I was super bummed out when, you know, was it Josh Hader, the baseball yes. player for yes. the Brewers, um, who wrote tweet, racist tweets and seemed to apologize for them okay, if I'm remembering that correct. Yeah. That part of the story was eh, a thing, you know, not great. But for him to walk out on the baseball diamond and get a standing ovation as though he'd just been through a war from yeah. the white people in the audience, yeah. right. that was almost <laughs> the worst part of it for me. Yeah. That's, That's a, that is thing. a mob. Like yeah. the Brewers fans applauding someone for not being fired for racist and homophobic tweets is that's a mob. Like we don't for some reason link lump that in with like the internet mob or whatever. But it's the same fucking shit. Like you're blindly and whatever. I guess if you're in Milwaukee and you do this you know fifty one percent triangulation and you love baseball so much, okay. That's but like right. the level of enthusiasm you throw behind it is revolting. Yeah, you don't have to stand up for that. You yeah, have to be like you've been through something hard, honey. Yeah, if you were a Brewers fan who was not a racist piece of shit, you could also be like, "You're on thin ice, buddy." Like even right. that is too weak for my taste. But it's like thin ice, but you know, one an arm. Like, ah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's an excellent example, because also when we were talking about Hollywood before, we were saying, ah, the conservatives are screwed because they have no Hollywood heroes who share their politics. And then I love baseball, and I often feel screwed because the, it seems like the vast majority of baseball players are pretty conservative. Uh, they're either guys from the South who are conservative or, or Latin American people who are conservative. Yeah. And 
it's tricky because also they are once they tend to make the league when they're I don't know 21 or 2 so they also don't have great judgment and <laughs> this season in particular we're getting a raft of guys who Josh Hader tweeted offensive things in 2011 to 12 when he was like a high school baseball prospect and then people surfaced it and, and he had to apologize and he shouldn't have done it but all, and then it was super weird that those fans did a standing ovation like you said uh, there was also a recent one too where there was a guy on the Atlanta Braves, not a great name, uh, and his name is Sean Newcomb, and he was having a great game against Washington's team, the Washington Nationals, and so then Nationals fans found his old terrible tweets, and so then he apologized for them, and then Atlanta fans were like, we need to take revenge on Washington, and so then they found the terrible tweets of a Washington player named Trey Turner, he had to apologize for those. All of this is purely motivated by bad faith, anger, yeah. and sports rivalry. And then it plays out exactly the same way as a lot of these other entertainment outrages that are also motivated by bad faith. Like, it, they're so parallel, it, it makes it stark to me that, that they're bad. <laughs> and it's right. happening in our politics. It's happening with Al Franken. You know, it's happening with all of it. Who, ah. who also, I'd, he might be bad, but then it, like, it, it almost became a thing of whose head do we get in exchange for exactly. Al Franken. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. it's the same and, thing where it's like none of yeah. the racist tweets by the baseball players are not okay. The homophobic ones are not okay. What Al Franken maybe did or maybe didn't do is not okay. Yeah. yeah. It was almost like which senator do we get in exchange for Al Franken? Like who else gets kicked out? I which mean, is not positive. It's yeah. not actually trying to make the world better. That's right. true. I mean, maybe there's a piece of me that's still playing the game the way they are. Like I hate losing the Franken. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's how yeah. they see Roseanne. Yeah. But I guess that's to a, me, I'm just like, who cares? Yeah. yeah, they should all go, and they're all you know they're all supported, or are supporting Trump now. Fucking Roy Moore shit. Even if you just want recent examples, it's like yeah. Guess what? They don't care. They're awful. <laughs> then they've been awful. So fuck them. Also, one thing that I find concerning in the long term about Trump is that I think he could very very easily become a whataboutist argument against everything. Like he'll yeah. just pretty much be the terrible example for everything that follows. Yeah. And I think Bill Clinton was the whataboutist argument for Trump before that. You know, like are we yeah. are we starting to get into a chain of just yeah. everything has uh, an evil predecessor, so everything's fine? Yeah. Seems seems bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean I wonder if it was like that when we were kids and didn't understand what happened with Nixon. You know? Oh yeah. We've had a ton of yeah. that before before Nixon, what was there like and a, and a cultural one you reminded me of, there's a New York Times opinion writer who, after Mark Duplass apologized for saying, maybe look at Ben Shapiro, the New York Times opinion writer called his apology the result of a struggle session, which is an explicit reference to Maoist uh, China when they would do something called a struggle session, which was a public shaming of oh, people who yeah. were against the regime initially. Yeah. And I I feel it's somewhat, di somewhat different from the crimes of Chairman Mao to yeah. ask someone to think differently on Twitter. I think I think there's some distinction there, maybe. It's so funny. You know? Yeah, because it's like, <laughs> what, are, what are you saying? Like, you're saying, oh, we're instruments of the oppressive state for telling someone that the idiotic thing they wrote was idiotic. So <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean someone needs to muzzle us from saying that the idiotic thing was idiotic? Should we not say that? Like, right. who compels us not to say it? Why shouldn't we say it? Like, is it wrong? Or just that we shouldn't say it because it compels someone else to change their mind? The the be nice to Ben Shapiro thing is truly like, how much of a bubble do you have to be in to think that is a smart thing to say? I can even imagine how Mark Duplass would be in enough of a bubble. Like, I think he's really, really busy and he's just not online all the time. And he probably was presented with a couple yeah. okay sounding things from him. Like, It's not 
that hard to be fooled by some of these people initially. Yeah. You know, which does, it's a tricky world. Well, it brings us to another uh, probably unpopular solution for the internet mob is like, if all of us were as plugged into the nuances of Twitter and the internet, like if Disney execs were as plugged in as we are about like, oh no, CernVage is a clown. Obviously we don't have to like follow that. Firing James Gunn wouldn't have happened. You know, like, like right. things like that. Like it's like, it is a thing where, we may have crossed a Rubicon that the only solution to everyone being on the internet too much is for truly everyone to be on the internet too much. Like if it were like, (laughs) if it were like just public common knowledge, like if it were as implicit to a Disney exec as it is to me that like, I'm familiar with this argument. I'm familiar with this person. I know it is baseless. I know he is a bigot and an asshole and a rapist. So I don't have to listen when he gets mad at someone. Maybe does everyone need to be at that level of knowledge for us to Maybe what we need is like a corporate sage. Like there should be one of you, like an Oracle, in every office building. Yeah. And before yeah. they do anything, go ask the Oracle and you'll be like, uh, this okay, is let bullshit. me tell you, here's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not a good thing, but we're too far gone for the unsavvy to have as much power as they do and internet savvy. Like, oh, you know, like you watch those like uh, Facebook hearings and it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We need to like fucking destroy Facebook, but also absolutely these old white dudes should not be the people to do it. The, the senators, like, oh, like for sure. uh, the Zuckerberg hearing. It's like, oh, they don't know anything. Yeah, those were rough because, and I, I think I said this on a past episode too, like I, I, I super don't want to be ageist. Everyone can be savvy about everything, but it's like worrying to have elected representatives who are septuagenarians and octogenarians dealing with how to handle Twitter. Like I, yeah. I, I really want to get a young person in there just for that, you know? Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> same, 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 same. I mean, you opened up this podcast asking us where we get our media from. And it, I mean, it is so true that I think a lot of the people who buy these whataboutism arguments are hearing them from like a Fox News, but yeah. that they're all migrating to Facebook now, you know, that right, all our grandparents right. are getting our news there and getting their arguments there and not thinking about it. Because the genius of a whataboutism argument is it sounds really good for like half a second. And mm-hmm. if you're on the Internet, all you have in your attention span is maybe half a second because then you're looking at a cat video. Right. And so they don't ha- take that pause to be like, oh, let me come up with my own formulated intelligent opinion on this i just have like plug and play argument now for something that makes me uncomfortable yeah exactly and you don't it's not even hard to comprehend it's like a what about b great done yeah it's probably even easier than getting your news from fox news because fox news would have to say like a dumb statement and then maybe at least two or three statements after it to fill up time to get at least 30 (laughs) seconds out of it facebook is like a meme and then you're done yeah it's quicker and as people are dealing with their social platforms and everywhere else, we get this. I, I feel like we, we've given people rules of thumb to know, oh, whatever that next thing is, here's what to watch out for. I'm wondering if there's anything else people can do. Like, I, f- I feel like, for one thing, we could all be more supportive of sensitivity and thoughtfulness. I think there's a thing in, um, it's called Nanette's by Hannah Gadsby. It's amazing. I think there's one part where she says, essentially, when did insensitivity become like a virtue? When yeah. did that become cool? Because it's, it's not hard to do. It's just mean. Uh, what, what can we do to promote uh, joy, good, etc. Well, I mean, for me, I'm glad that like I kind of had this quiet policy going back to like 2013 when I was really thinking about this a lot. Where I don't mob down. Do you know what I mean? Like I only I only get mad at yeah. people in power. I only call out people who have a power to change something. Right. For me, that's just my own little corner of the internet. Like in film criticism, all the time, like a film critic will say something dumb or that they shouldn't have, or like come from a POV that makes people weirded out. And I. Don't go after colleagues. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, that, you just that makes like sense. file that you won't do that. But I don't enjoy I don't I don't enjoy feeding any mob pile on unless it's a person who's really actively hurting people's lives. Do you know what I, that's yeah, just I me do. trying to like tamp yeah, down a couple tamp down fires in my neighborhood. I a hundred percent agree with that sentiment, but like we don't even agree on what's punching up and punching down anymore. You know? And and sort of rightfully, like I feel like a lot of bigots will say like you know, I'm a poor white person. LeBron James is a millionaire. It's fine for me to call him, you know, insinuate slurs or whatever. Like, I can't articulate a solution that isn't very nuanced, but it is a thing where you're like, oh, you don't even know what punching down is. That's like, true, actually, <laughs> hearing you describe it that way. Like, because yeah. there's so many people that, like, in absolute good faith will, you know, say, like, oh, like the Obamas are rich like fuck them they're monkeys whatever like and it's like yeah and and if you say well that's like you know you that sort of racial racial slur is like really like you know pushing down on oppressed people their train of thought is like the obamas aren't oppressed and then it's like you cannot like reason with those people i don't know sorry i i i guess what i'm saying is like when you when you're calculating the punching down or like criticizing down or mobbing down or up sort of thing like you have to be so empathetic to make that work so it's like just like to the extent that you can try to like think about all of people's experiences and like realize that the things that are oppressing you know like I'm not white but I'm certainly a straight man and so like shit works out for me in other ways a lot like and and you have to like really work hard to think about that and it's so hard I guess that's the thing you have to like be critical of yourself at all times that's true which is yeah. a, yeah. a fun it's way hard. to live through I know. the world but it's I know. well maybe <laughs> what about this what about like going through the world with the hubris of knowing you don't know everything I know, but that's so hard. The, the only people that internalize that lesson are the people who don't need Like, that's the true. people who need it <laughs> will never internalize the that's argument. True. Hey, Cernovich, what have you just thought about other people's feelings for a second? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the white man's the most oppressed. You know, we don't even get to do X or Y thing anymore. And it's like, I don't know. I sort of even get, certainly many of your followers believe that in good faith. Well, yeah, and I, I think one Time, I guess time saver, energy <laughs> saver people can do is don't worry about the professional bad faith people like convincing them. You know, you don't need to oh, try yeah. to talk yeah. them out of yeah, it yeah. because their bread and butter is this lie that they know they're lying. Uh, yeah. Talk to everybody else in your life who's being uh, having it spread to them. You know, yeah. if you can, like talk to like Amy, you were talking about your aunt and uncle. Like you talk to them because they're people that you can connect with. You yeah. don't you don't put the same care and energy into Pizza Gate Boy. Yeah. <laughs> if this oxygen, if this vampire blood keeps them alive, these fighters, yeah, who needs them? I yeah, know. Yeah. Like Milo seems like he's kind of gone away. Yeah. I'm sure he's somewhere like in a fashionable manner, like ruining other people's lives in a more intimate setting. But like he's gone. I didn't know we could do that. Yeah. Somehow I imagine him on a street with a guitar case open doing it. I know that's not how it works, but you know what I mean? Something like that. <laughs> I've got a little tattoo about racism for you. Just, just yeah. yelling racial slurs at, <laughs> on the street. Right. That's, that's how you work your way up. Yeah. You start, yeah. you start on the boardwalk and then you, you yell racial slurs <laughs> yeah. in some small venues and then like you open for a bigger racist and then, man, that's, that's the story. The story is all this time. He's just a little plucky immigrant with a dream. Yeah. Oh. It's so beautiful in a way. 
Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Amy Nicholson and Andrew T for being so thoughtful about how people are thoughtful or are or are completely not thoughtful. That's kind of the world we're in. Let's root for the thoughtful people. And hey, you, why don't you get your thoughtful on with our footnotes where you will see and hear about all the outrages and counter outrages and criminal self-promotion that we talked about today. Also, there are some people where we just kind of said that they said bad things online, but we didn't repeat it. As we said on the show, it's because that stuff was super gross. So maybe you don't want to hear it on your your Monday morning or your any time of day. But if you want evidence of it, if you want to truly understand what they said, uh, there's links to it there. And uh, your mileage will vary. You know what I mean? Whatever your stomach can take, get in there. One of many footnotes I want to call out, I forgot who wrote it during the episode, and I'm so sorry about that. The column is called The New Roseanne Takes Place in Another Dimension, Seriously, and it is by J.M. McNabb, fantastic cracked writer and columnist. It is framed kind of like a fan theory. It is such an incisive piece on that show that was such a touchstone and such a cultural flashpoint, and it's my favorite piece of writing about it that I have seen, just period. And of course, our footnotes contain a bunch of podcasts because both our guests are amazing podcasters. Andrew T. and his new co-host, Tawny Newsome, are on Yo! Is This Racist every week. You can hear him on Earwolf. Also, if you're in Chicago, what a great city. Love it. They're going to be at Chicago Podfest on November 29th. Chicago Podfest. I think through Andrew or the Yo! Is This Racist site, you can probably get tickets. I should have checked that before, but you'll figure it out. Mark your calendars now, November 29th for that show. And then Amy Nicholson and her fantastic co-host, Paul Shear. Oh, wow, Paul Shear. They are doing their show Unspooled every week about the AFI Top 100 films. They go movie by movie through a lot of things that you just didn't know that much about yet. I have seen Ben-Hur, the original, and I now I know so much more about chariots and the world from hearing the Unspooled episode about it. You know what else I know? I know when our next Live Cracked podcast is. It is Saturday, September 15th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. It is going to be a show about Emmy Awards that we wish existed. It's going to be right around the actual Emmys, and we're going to come up with all kinds of fun categories and prizes and other things that TV shows should receive. Mark your calendars now. We will have tickets on sale soon, though not quite yet, but very soon. Very excited about it. I'm also excited about our theme music. It is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Ryan Connor and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media a thing that some teenager is probably misusing right now before he goes on to play for my favorite baseball team and make me feel very, very frustrated. So so cut it out, listener, I hope. Cut it out. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter, not making those mistakes, and I don't really tweet about the White Sox much. I I feel like people don't want to hear it. Anyway, you can find me on there, at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. It has my show dates and my newsletter and so much more. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.